0: hello welcome to discovering jazz my name's larry Sadman. my goal is for us to discover jazz old and new together by listening to a wide array of selections and exploring different jazz styles and topics related to jazz we'll learn more about what it is what it isn't how it's developed and what we can listen for to enhance our experience. This program is on Trent Radio 92.7 on your dial and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. For the next 60 minutes, discovering jazz. Today, it's Blue Train and Coltrane. I used to think that I didn't really like the music of John Coltrane. Then I started jamming with people who had introduced these Coltrane tunes, and they seemed so interesting as well. In researching Thelonious Monk for uh, program number eight and talking with musicologist Michael Morris, uh, and I did like Thelonious Monk, well, I heard those Carnegie Hall recordings with Coltrane, and they were spectacular. So I've given his 1957 album... Blue Train. His only recording is a leader on the Blue Note label. Another few listens, and I want to present some of what I've learned about this record to you on today's episode. I don't have the original LP, which sells for as high as $1,000 for those lucky enough to find it, but I've listened to a remastered CD that includes an alternate take of two of the tunes, starting with side one, track one, the title tune, Blue Train. It's a straight blues sequence, but with some jazzy ensemble harmonies on the main riff, kind of like a train whistle. And just listen to Coltrane's solo on this and tell me if this isn't the most spectacular and the most edgy playing that you've heard.
1: (laughs)
2: you <laughs>
0: So much has been written about that album, that particular tune. Jazz saxophonist Art Pepper, in talking about the other solos on that album, said, The other cats sound ridiculous, like little children after train solos. He was so cruel on Blue Train, he should have let the rest of the band play before him. Now, as spectacular as Coltrane's solo was in that particular tune, I also enjoyed listening to what trumpeter Lee Morgan was doing, where he seemed to be trying to duplicate some of the pyrotechnics that Coltrane was using, although the experts say that it was more of a Dizzy Gillespie or Clifford Jordan imitation. So, what do I know? The solo by trombonist Curtis Fuller didn't do much for me, Interestingly, that piano solo by Kenny Drew, which I really liked, was lifted from a later take of that tune and plugged into this one. I don't know how they did it, actually, because I'm sure that that later take, which is on the remastered CD, is at a slightly faster tempo. One thing that always leads me to wonder about jazz solos is just just how immediate they really are, or do most jazz players just recycle old solos? In this case, with Coltrane, the answer to the last question is not at all. You can get a sense of this when you listen to two takes from the same tune. Blue Train is a splendid example. Listening to them one after the other, I felt that incredible tension throughout listening to Coltrane's solo in the original. The solo in the later take was totally different and I thought much less interesting. See what you think. I'll play his solo again from the recording that ended up on the album, then follow it with the one from the alternate take. ¶¶ Okay, now here's a solo from the alternate take. Well, true enough, I played more of the following solo with trumpeter Lee Morgan than I intended, but it was such an interesting solo, even more so than his first one, and to think that he was only 19 when this was recorded. As for the Coltrane solos, I thought that solo felt rather lame and uninspired compared to the first one. I don't think this tune would have gone down in history as one of jazz's great recordings if they had used that one. Also, On that album are Paul Chambers on bass and Philly Joe Jones on drums. It may have been that Philly Joe Jones' drumming, so compatible with the playing of Coltrane, partly drew Coltrane to Blue Note Records for that particular record, as Jones had stopped playing for Prestige Records, Coltrane's regular label, a year before Blue Train was made. Okay, just before I move on to the other tracks on this historical album, I want to give you another thing to wonder about. The thought came as I was listening to Curtis Fuller's trombone solo on the alternate version, thinking how much I really liked it, especially compared to the one that I actually disliked on the take that was used, and wondered what Art Pepper would have said had he heard that recording. Remember that Pepper suggested that the other soloists embarrassed themselves compared to Coltrane. Yet, on that alternate take, Coltrane's solo was less inspiring, and Lee Morgan's solo and Curtis Fuller's was much more so, which isn't uncommon as record companies would usually take the best performance with a feature artist and use that for the official recording. But I think that the alternate take might have evened things out a bit, even if it had ended up not being so successful. But I'm going to play the end of Lee Morgan's trumpet solo in that alternate take, leading into Curtis Fuller's expressive trombone solo. Okay, onward and upward. That tune, Blue Train, is pretty much a straight blues, which really wasn't Coltrane's forte. He liked his music to be more intricate, which leads us to cut two of Blue Train, also written by John Coltrane. Moments notice. A lot of jazz combos love to play this tune, although it's hard to improvise over because of the frequent chord changes. All twelve notes of our western music scale show up as roots during the first sixteen bars. The chords flash by quickly, and it's much more complex than other songs of its day. Let's hear it. And again, great solo work by Coltrane, then trombonist Curtis Fuller, then an inspired solo by Lee Morgan, only 19 years old. Unbelievable. And over those chords, and Paul Chambers' bass solo is bowed rather than plucked. And those drum hits by Philly Joe Jones. They really work to keep the tune moving, working together beautifully with Paul Chambers' bass and the piano riffs of Kenny Drew. Moments Notice, John Coltrane. From Blue Train by Coltrane here on Discovering Jazz. <laughs> I'm Despite the fact that this tune is so frequently played and is now part of the standard repertoire, this was the only recording that Coltrane made of it, in concert or in the studio. So now we turn the record over. Side 2 starts fast and wild, a tune I'm not going to play here out of time considerations, but also because the composition itself is a predictable and often boring blues sequence. It's called Locomotion. What makes it stand out is some absolutely incredible playing by all the musicians. Maybe I'll have some time at the end to play it. I'm going to play the next one on side two, the only non-original. It's a Jerome Kern and Johnny Mercer film composition from 1942, originally part of a song and dance routine featuring Rita Hayworth and Fred Astaire. Sometimes it's harder, tone-wise, to play a slow song than it is a fast one on tenor sax, but the quality of the sound demonstrates how Coltrane's extreme obsession with practicing his instrument paid off. I'm (laughs) old-fashioned. for what might be my favorite tune on John Coltrane's Blue Train album. It's called Lazy Bird, apparently a variation of an earlier tune by Tad Dameron called Lady Bird. I find the tune so catchy that it becomes a bit of an earworm. It's an introduction to what became one of John Coltrane's greatest innovations, later referred to as Coltrane Changes. It uses a cycle of thirds where he moves the root note, either a major or a minor third, the so-called giant steps. Okay, so that's the technical part. (laughs) The solos here start off with Lee Morgan's trumpet, then Curtis Fuller on trombone, and Coltrane this time takes the third solo. It's a solo that, uh, rather than running full speed up and down the saxophone, he gives us a bit of a break with some edgy long tones. Then pianist Kenny Drew puts together what I think might be the most cohesive solo that he made on this album. Paul Chambers again does a short, bowed bass solo, wilder than the one he did on Moment's Notice, and Philly Joe Jones is given a short but effective drum solo that leads nicely back into the melody. Lazy Bird, John Coltrane. Thank you. I want to end today with a quote from reviewer Chris Sloecki in the All About Jazz website. Talking about John Coltrane, he says, he just seemed so much better than other musicians at projecting hurt and suffering, majestic rage and frustration and ultimately ecstasy and liberation. His playing celebrated sound. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz, coming from the studios of Trent Radio in Peterborough, as well as Peterborough Independent Podcasters. I'm Larry Sadman. I have a bit of time left, so I'm playing that first track on side two that I thought I didn't have time to play, Locomotion, movement from one place to another. And this one moves us to the end of the program, and maybe into next week, and another episode of Discovering Jazz. Bye for now.